Welcome to The Obsession Digression, a podcast that explores all of the cultural things that obsess us. I'm Sam Benarchik. And I'm Katie Walker. So Katie, we've made it to episode two. Woo-hoo! Yeah, we looked back on episode one. And there are some things that we should work on. Guys, we have some ticks. <laughs> we say like, we say um. I mean, I and I don't even normally say that, but... You're, I referred to your Mima as revolting at one point, so <laughs> I don't know if we can bounce back from that. I think um, we've we've made a strong start, though. Yeah, um, I think despite so. Despite our tics, despite our, our shortcomings. And we're going to continue to work on this sort of, like, sound technology and try to optimize exactly. the sound quality of this podcast. So exactly. be patient, stay, uh, you know, like stay invested for at least another few weeks before I mean, you you've give already up on discovered, us or I see, forever. I did it again. I said, I mean, but um, you've already discovered that we're brilliant and charming and hilarious. So, so stay with us. So um, you want to introduce this week's episode? Yes. Today's episode is on the elephant man, 1980 David Lynch goes to Hollywood. Do you want to tell us the title? <laughs> oh, yeah. That was the, the promo the promo tag. Apologies. The title uh, of this particular episode is Not the Rocket or Piano or the Mega, but the Elephant Man. That's right. We're tackling David Lynch's first Hollywood film. The Second Elephant film Man. ever. Yeah. Still Baby Lynch, pretty much. Uh, Baby Lynch goes to Hollywood. Oh, that's another good subtitle. Yeah, yeah, that's the the better... Baby Lynch goes to Hollywood. (laughs) I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, So today, uh, we're talking about this film that uh, is really kind of odd because it doesn't feel as Lynchian as, say, Eraserhead, Holland Drive, Lost Highway, something like that. Rather, it's very feature filmy, right? Yeah, we should think about that as we talk about it, of like where we find Lynchian motifs. Mm-hmm. You know, I know last week I complained that all of his short films and, and Eraserhead <laughs> were abstracted to the point of being frustrating, and this is really the complete opposite end of the spectrum. This is almost stayed, right? Right. Like, it's sort of anachronistic to call it, uh, like, uh, an Oscar movie, but that's... It was nominated if... for... I think eight Academy Awards or something like that. And shut out. Yeah. Did not win any of them. Yeah. But thanks to this movie, thanks to The Elephant Man, we now have the category for Best Makeup Artist. Whoa, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, because there were a lot of complaints that, um, and we'll get to kind of the plot in a second, but John Hurt's character, who is The Elephant Man, um, that makeup was incredible, right? Like, it was very detailed and very, just impressive, right? So, um... I've got some good, uh, good stories on the makeup to get to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I can't wait. But this is all to say, like, I don't know, in some ways it made me think of, like, uh, uh, this movie got a lot of backlash, right? Because it's not great, but The King's Speech, right? Where it felt like it was like a movie that was made to win Oscars. Like, there's Mm. something sort of calculated and safe about it. I see. And I sort of, I don't know, I got some of those vibes when I watched this. At the same time, I was surprisingly moved by it. I, I cared yeah. very much about the plight of, of, of John Merrick. Well, that's the main critique, is that it's too sentimental, yeah. right? So it's, um, it swings too far. Mm-hmm. And so you were moved. I was moved. But, you know, for the fancy critics out there, we're not supposed to be... We're supposed to be troubled more than moved. It's, yeah. That's what the critics wanted. And you're going to tell us about reception a little bit. So yes. maybe you'll tell us uh, how much Robert Eber, uh, Roger Ebert... Uh, Dislikes it, yeah. I will. Why don't I get us started, and I'll talk a little bit about the production history of how Elephant Man, how David Lynch's Elephant Man came to be. So the production history of Elephant Man really has two components then. There's the scripts and David Lynch's involvement in it. So in 1978, the Elephant Man script is written by Christopher DeVore and Eric Berggren based on Sir Frederick Trebb's memoir. It's called The Elephant Man and Other Reminiscences. And also based on Ashley Montague's uh, book, The Elephant Man, A Study in Human Dignity. Now, Christopher DeVore's girlfriend is working as a babysitter for Jonathan Sanger. Uh, Sanger at the time is a producer and assistant to director Mel Brooks of Blazing Saddles and Spaceballs fame. Uh, DeVore's girlfriend, who as far as I can tell and everything I've read is unnamed, like, which is really a shame because she's like... The linchpin holding everyone together. The linchpin. Oh, that's brilliant. The <laughs> linchpin. her name has been lost to time, which seems very unfair. So if anyone does know or you know her, or like 
get in touch with us. Or if you just know our name, we can go back and amend this somehow. Same story with the pug from Dune. I tried to find that God pug's name. damn it. And that pug is lost to history. So Women babysitter, girlfriend, and unappreciated. pugs. But Continually shut out of Hollywood. <laughs> Much like Elephant Man at the Oscars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, no awards for them. Uh, divorced girlfriend, while babysitting, passes the script to Sanger. Sanger has never heard of either of the memoir, uh, nor is he familiar with Joseph Merrick, who is the real-life elephant man. They change, mm-hmm. his, change his name in the movie to John Merrick. Yeah. Um, however, Sanger's really impressed with the script, and so he takes a one-year option on it. He can't do anything with it immediately because he's heading to New York with Anne Bancroft, who's also an elephant man. Uh, they're going to New York to scout locations for her 1980 film, Fatso, which I meant to look up because <laughs> it's, it's an intriguing name. Yeah, but while Sanger's away, Mel Brooks happens upon the script. He reads it and he loves it. In fact, he thinks that Elephant Man would be the perfect first film for his new production company, Brooks Films. So one month later, Sanger is back in town and he and Brooks commit to making the movie. Here's where the story gets sort of serendipitous. During the month between when Sanger is, has optioned the script and when he and Brooks commit to making the film, a co-worker of Sanger's named Stuart Kornfeld had gone to see Eraserhead. Korn... He was one of the first ones, too. Sorry to interrupt, yeah. but he um, was like one of 20 people in the oh, first awesome. screening, essentially, just by accident, of Eraserhead. <laughs> well, apparently he's so impressed by it that he convinces Sanger to go see it, too. So by this point, Kornfeld and Lynch had already met. Uh, Lynch had pitched to him his recent script, Ronnie Rocket, more on that in a minute, which Kornfeld loved and was trying to help him finance. But when it became really clear that like financing was not going to come through, Lynch finally tells Kornfeld uh, that he's interested then in directing a studio script. And you can see where this is going. Mm-hmm. Sanger calls a meeting with Lynch, pitches him Elephant Man, and Lynch agrees, so he's on board. However, before Lynch gets the job, they have to convince Mel Brooks, who has never heard of David Lynch. <laughs> So, Sanger takes Brooks to see Eraserhead. Oh, I cannot imagine a weirder <laughs> moment, yeah. right? So this Mel is a... Brooks going to <laughs> see Eraserhead. I just feel like he'd just be waiting, yeah, for the punchline the whole time. Right. So, yeah, Sanger, this is a quote from Sanger. He says, as soon as the lights went down and the movie started, I thought to myself, this was a horrendous mistake. <laughs> Mel Brooks is going to think I'm an idiot. So, when the lights came on, I think I had my eyes shut. I thought he was going to hit me. But he looked at me and said, yes, it's an adolescence nightmare about responsibility. I get it. I'd love to meet this guy. So I really Apparently, want... like, Lynch did not tell him that that's not it because no one has, has ever guessed the interpretation well, of Well, you don't contradict Mel Brooks when you want money from Mel Brooks, <laughs> yeah. right? But you I should really... needlepoint that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, sage. I want there to be, um, like, a skit or even a mockumentary or something that recreates this particular moment where Mel Brooks is watching Eraserhead or just, like, an entire film of just Mel Brooks mm-hmm. watching David Lynch's Eraserhead <laughs> and like the pure emotions that must have like or even been just apparent. The two of them meeting, right? Because right. you think of like every time I see Mel Brooks or hear him like in an interview, it sounds like someone who wants to be the center of attention, wants people to really be like mm-hmm. enraptured with what he's saying and these big over the top stories he's telling. And yeah. David Lynch, of course, is so unfazed by other humans and their words. <laughs> <laughs> so strange yeah so brooks does have one mel brooks has one criticism of lynch during their first meeting he mistook lynch for a kid or a messenger because he showed up wearing (laughs) quote a little under jacket and an unbuttoned shirt no tie oh baby lynch i know he still gets the job though and he sits down with bergren and devore they're the original script writers uh, and the three of them rework the script In the meantime, Mel Brooks starts shopping the film, and Paramount agrees to back it, giving Brooks Films full creative control. So Brooks, in turn, gives Lynch creative control. So he's largely able to do whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. Around this time, too, Mel Brooks decides that even though Brooks Films is releasing or producing the film, he's going to remove his name off of the credits because he doesn't want anyone to go into it expecting a comedy. Right, right. smart. Yeah, good on you. Good on you, bro, Mel Mel Brooks. (laughs) Bro, that's a reference Mm -hmm. from last week. You had to be there, guys. (laughs) Which you were. Or you can be. Just, you know, listen to episode one. Yeah, exactly. Um, Remember, too, Lynch made Eraserhead for $20,000. Elephant Man came with a budget of $5 million. Spend money! Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Treat yourself! 
<laughs> so because of that, not everything went smoothly. Lynch initially insisted on building the prosthetics for the Alpha Man himself. Of course. Yeah, he was like, yeah. give, me, give me a cat fetus <laughs> and some privacy. I'll, I'll put this all on John Hurt's face again. Yeah. This will definitely work. Yeah, needless to say, that failed. And Lynch was very frustrated. And everyone was also frustrated that he kept insisting on, on being the person to design it. He finally gives up and someone else takes it over. There are also reports of like off-screen tension between him and Anthony Hopkins. That really? They did not get along. I did not know that. Yeah. And keep in mind, Lynch took four years to make Eraserhead. Mm -hmm. um, he admits that he struggled to keep up with the studio's rigid 54-day shooting schedule. I'm and he's sure. not used to that kind of structure. He would have had to been awake during the day, which is anti-lunch, right? Exactly. Right. However, the film gets made. Um, Katie, you can tell us more about its reception. But first, we have to talk about the movie that Lynch didn't make. Ronnie when Rocket. he decided to make Elephant Man, yeah. Yes. So when Sanger approached Lynch to direct Elephant Man, he had just written the follow-up to Eraserhead. Uh, Ronnie Rocket, subtitled The Absurd Mystery of the Strange Forces of Existence. <laughs> okay, so this movie concerns the story of a detective seeking to enter a mysterious second dimension. And I think we can think of Twin Peaks here, right? Right, yeah, that's the, like, that's the summary of Twin Peaks, essentially. Yeah, and he's being obstructed on this quest by a strange landscape of odd rooms and a threatening train while being stalked by the, quote, donut men who wield electricity as a weapon. In addition to the detective story, the film was also a tale of its eponymous hero, originally named Ronald Dart, like of art in French, <laughs> a teenage dwarf who suffers a surgical mishap, which leaves him dependent on being plugged into an electrical supply <laughs> at regular intervals. Oh, man. Yeah. So this dependence grants him an affinity <laughs> over electricity, which he can use A, to produce music, or B, to cause destruction. <laughs> Major powers right there. So the boy, I love it. Yeah. And he, and he has red hair, right? Yep. So This is my future child. <laughs> yeah. The boy names himself Ronnie Rocket and becomes a rock star, befriending a tap dancer named Electrocute. And that's like a great <laughs> dream for your first child, right? Yeah, yeah. I would Grow love a little baby Ronnie Rocket. To fall in love with the tap dancer. Be a rock to star. To both have these great names. Yeah, make me plenty of money so that I can sit <laughs> <Yep>. home, <laughs> work on my paint by numbers, you know. And a great piece of trivia. Ronnie was going to be played by Michael Anderson who has memorable roles in both Twin Peaks and Mulholland Drive. So he's the guy in the Red Room whose voice is recorded backwards. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. And then That's cool. The last thing we'll say about that in this episode, though this will, I think, come back in Dune, is that throughout Lynch's career, so after Elephant Man, after Dune, after Blue Velvet, and after Firewalk With Me, he repeatedly plans to return to Ronnie Rocket. Thus far, it has not happened. Maybe he will, though. I mean... You return you to Twin know. Peaks. You never know. Ronnie Rocket could materialize. That would be a glorious movie. I would totally watch that. Oh, I, I hope it does get made. But that is that's where we'll end with production history, though. So great. What do you want to tell us about the reception of the Alpha Man? The reception, sure. So actually, do you want to move into talking about the film summary first, or the reception history? It's up to you. Okay, we can cut. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. I think you start whispering that. <laughs> Actually, let's keep it in. We're going to cut this part. Um, okay. That's good because I'm unwrapping my... <laughs> well, I've had to burp for a while. Can I just burp? Yeah. Okay. That's it? Just a little burp, yeah. Okay, reception history. Uh, so this film has mixed reviews. Overall, it's pretty positive, but there are a few critics who are just not a fan of it. Like I said earlier, the sentimentality of it, right? The kind of mawkishness of Elephant Man turns some people off. I think the main critique from, you know, various critics is that there's not... So... I'm so, do you think this is getting picked up? I have to just shake a beverage very quickly. So I'm sorry to everyone. I'm just, gonna be just shake quick it. Quick about it. Shake it out. Wait, that sounded weird. <laughs> <laughs> all Sam's right. twerking. That sounded like a song. Um, all right. Um, Back to you, Katie. Okay, so, uh, so the problem, I think, is that this is, with any film with disability even, there's not really something to overcome, per se. So you're, you know, Elephant Man is born with this disfigurement, with these ailments, etc. And then, you know, gets kind of rescued by Treves, 
and enters society, enters London society. Right? Oh, is it Treves? I couldn't remember. I think it's Treves. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Some also say Treves, and that's fine too. Yeah, you can say it however you want. Quick story, I mispronounce things all the time. And so when I was in high school, I was reading The Plague by Camus. Mm -hmm. And somebody was like, hey, what you reading there? And I was like, it's this book by Camus. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I have... So, I am not the one to, to critique pronunciation. Well, I have a story about mispronunciation that's from, like, three years ago. This is in the middle of a graduate seminar. We were reading uh, Norbert Wiener, who's famous, mid-century sort of yeah. theorist of cybernetics. Mm -hmm. Huge in the 60s, sort of not, I don't know, it's discussed so much now. I had been watching Mad Men at the time. I knew the creator of the show was named Matthew Weiner. I thought they were oh, spelled no. the, same name, the same way, so... I mentioned, I referenced Norbert, and I said Norbert Weiner, and the professor like stopped the class and went, and, sh and she goes, um, I know in the United States, uh, this is a funny word, Weiner, but we are all adults here, and we need to be able to say it. And I was like, I don't have a problem saying the word Weiner. I'll wiener. say Weiner all say, the time yeah, if I need to. Just point it to me, and I'll just say it. And it was so humiliating because she went on and on about like what was very clearly what she saw as my Attempt inability to, be, to say yeah. the word Weiner. And now oh. I'm saying it so many times yeah. right now. Weiner, 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 Weiner. Just get it out. Yeah. <laughs> this just... is like the, the South Park version of the Game of Thrones song. Weiner, Weiner, Weiner. <laughs> but anyway. We all mispronounce things sometimes. Yeah, and we and that's accept re that's that. really the takeaway from this episode. Yeah, exactly. So Treves, Trevs, Trevies, whatever Wiener, you want to call Weiner, them. Yeah, just Camus. go for it. Just call them Camus. It's all good. Okay, so back to kind of why critics aren't super super excited about this film, or why they're just kind of hesitant to give it the credit that I think it's due. Yeah, so finish what you were saying before. Yeah. So, that like about, so you're saying that there's some narrative structure of overcoming that the film cannot Yeah, because, complete? right, because, so there, what is there to overcome? There's no cure, I guess, is the thing, right? So there's no cure for the elephant man. So the narrative is more about adjusting to that fact while also finding the beauty in other kind of forms of, of pleasure. So Yeah, we're sort um, of like a humanizing yeah, exactly. narrative though, right? Exactly. But that that means then that this is not a hero narrative per se. Okay. Um so then what you have, what it can become and what some critics have thought it's become, is um this kind of I don't know, too cute like almost cutesy this kind of just sentiment, overly yeah. sentimental is just the, the only word I can think of. Relationship between Treves and the Elephant Man or Merrick, right? What well, is like so British in that way, right? In almost like a parodic way, like we are going to valorize a quiet dignity of the gentleman yeah. human, right? And so, so that. yeah, so I think it did not win any Academy Awards, alas. But it was nominated for a lot, you it was It was nominated. It tied with Raging Bull for wow. the amount of nominations, but won nothing, alas. Uh, today, though, it's well-received. I think a lot of people have seen it, so there you go. Yeah. So we need to pivot from there into a very pressing question, and I need every listener to think hard about this. This is I a new wait. segment called, What Did I Read in Seventh Grade? Because <laughs> I was positive I had read The Elephant Man. And did I was you? like, I know the book, I'll go watch the movie, but I know everything is going to happen. The book I read was not set in Victorian England. It was, okay. like, I think it was set in the United States sometime in like maybe post-war years. So this is what I remember. Okay. And I like to think I have a really... Pretty good memory. Can you give us memory. an age range? Like how old? You were in seventh grade, so, so that's I like... So I was 10? 12, 13. 12, 13, yeah, okay. Yeah. And I remember every other book we read. We read, well, partly because I went to like a shit high school. We read very few things <laughs> yeah, that year. Um, we read a Sherlock Holmes short story. We read Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None. Okay. We Entrance. read Flowers for Algernon. Which is so disturbing. Good. So good. So disturbing for a child that to read. That was like though. the closest I ever came to like crying. That's in a, like, how over I learned about sex. I didn't. Oh, I had I no idea what sex was until that. There wasn't like a graphic description. No, but it's clear <laughs> that they do have sex, and I well, remember. Yeah. So, oh, so you didn't realize that people had sex? Well, it's like you had the knowledge of what sex was, but I not the knowledge that people engaged in it. And I had the knowledge people engaged in it, but I really did not know exactly what was going on. I knew, I knew there was something that happened, but this was the first narrative 
depiction of something leading up to sex. Okay. Does that yeah. make sense? Sure. Um, and I read it a little bit younger um, because we had this. Yeah, by 13, I should just say, I knew what sex was. <laughs> I just want to <laughs> let's correct <hope>. that. <laughs> let's hope at least you had a, a fuzzy idea. Yeah. Okay, so I'm and then sorry. I read um, Jacob Have I Loved, which is a really weird book. Yeah. So, and then I, the the last, the final one I thought was Elephant Man. And I remember a lot from the class. I remember classmates. I remember too. I forget the teacher's name, but her first name is Barbara. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'd remember her first name and not her <laughs> hey, last name. Barbara, get we over here. We're not on a first name basis. But there was <laughs> one day. Give me some more crayons. <laughs> yeah. Also, we're, you're like yeah, in no, seventh grade. <laughs> but we were supposed to be like, um, did you do this? Like the lazy teacher route of like, someone read a paragraph and then the person next to them Oh, the yeah. Paragraph. We were doing that. Yeah, yeah, right. And then we realized that she had fallen asleep at her desk. <laughs> and we were all just like dying, like crying with laughter, but utterly silent. Of course. Because we didn't want to wake her, obviously. And I just remember thinking, like, no moment in my life will ever be funnier than this. So <laughs> this Was is... that true? Have you not had Oh, a... thankfully, no, that was not true. There's <laughs> been great moments of, of joy since then. Thank goodness. Yeah, but this is all to say, like, I feel so strongly that I read a book called The Elephant Man, and it opens with these bored kids prank calling people, mm-hmm. like in the phone book, and the stupid things, like, is your refrigerator running? You better catch it, you know, like that... That, I remember that line exactly. Okay. Or do you have Prince Albert in a can, let him out. And then they prank call this old man with physical deformities, and then they end up sort of befriending him, and then, spoiler alert for a book that might not exist, he drops dead at the end. Jeez. Now I'm wondering, like, maybe I combined this with the Elephant Man, and he wasn't deformed, and it was just about this friendship with the, an elderly, lonely guy. Was it Boo Radley? No, it wasn't to kill a mockingbird. <laughs> And I remember there was this big trial going on. and So, yeah, if anyone knows what I'm talking about, please. Help us out. I have no idea, Sam. I can't, it's all right. I can't guess. I mean, I'm, it's, I guess it's good to know. I've, I've been corrected. I now accurately know what the Elephant Man is. But I you also thought know... you knew the Elephant Man. and I didn't. Alas. alas. Whoa, weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I also know, because of this movie, that everyone in Victorian England wore hats at oh, all yeah. times. They were big into the hat game. There was, I'm not kidding. There was not a single scene with someone hatless. Well, except for the elephant man, right? No. When he comes, when he takes the taxi to visit the doctor, oh, the he hood. has canvas or burlap sack on his head That's and right. still has a, he has a hat on top of the Must sack. Absorb, uh, observe I, forms here. I guess the woman in the very beginning who's attacked by the elephant does not have a hat his on. His mother, yeah. Well, let's Maybe go. that's why she's attacked, though. Yeah. That, <laughs> that elephant was charged with maintaining decorum. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, let's start at the beginning. Yeah, okay. Do you, I'll, I'll give a quick summary. Okay. Just, I, I think this is going to work better than my attempt at summarizing Eraserhead. <laughs> Which so, is just, let's talk about Jack Nance. Yeah. Which I still love. I'm, <laughs> when we get to Dune, Jack Nance appears again. This is a Jack Nance-less film, unless I missed him somehow, but I don't think Jack Nance is in Elephant Man. Uh, so the basic premise is that there is this um, young man named John Merrick uh, who is born horribly deformed. Uh, so his mother apparently was attacked by elephants when she was pregnant with him. And he's been kind of passed around among family members. And then he ends up in a freak show. And that's where the film itself starts. I did not put that together. Are we to understand that an elephant man... Get, or an elephant gave him elephantitis. That's the that's the implication. Was and that a belief at the time? In Victorian England. Yeah. Oh, I I have no idea. Um, if this were the mm. Renaissance, it'd be like hell yeah, they probably believe that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. That's um, be so interesting because the specters of like imperialism and everything. Sure. There. Yeah, yeah. Elephants. Certainly, the film depicts it as a direct correlation, okay. right? So both in that opening kind of dreamlike sequence, which was critiqued quite a bit, but also in um, Bates's like. I think it's Bates or Bites, the freak show proprietor. Yeah, in his opening gambit right. for the Elephant Man, he says, struck down, you know, as she was pregnant with um, the Elephant Man, and then, you know, a few months later gives birth to this yeah. unfortunate soul, right? So, anyways, um, the Elephant Man is at this um, uh, freak show. He's horribly mistreated by Bates, and Frederick Treves, who's a doctor at the London Hospital, 
wants to visit, wants to see the Elephant Man. Uh, he's denied this first opportunity because the police shut it down. Uh, the reason is the Elephant Man is so disfigured that it shocks the viewers, it shocks the witnesses. Well, and let's pause there for a second because it, that's just sort of like this really interesting motif of withholding from the viewer what mm -hmm. the Elephant Man looks like. Yes. That, so there are like four scenes of people seeing him that we are not privy to. It's yeah. not until much later, like maybe a good 30 minutes into the film. Right. It's Well, it's not until... so you the get nurse. a Well, you get a hint of him with Treves looking at him from a distance when he first asks to see the Elephant Man, but it's not a yeah. close-up. And in fact, one of the most interesting parts about this film is when uh, Treves brings the Elephant Man for kind of this um, academic talk in front of a bunch of doctors at the London Hospital. Right. Gentlemen, in the course of my profession, I have come upon many lamentable deformities of the face due to injury or disease, as well as mutilations and contortions of the body, depending upon like causes. But at no time have I met with such a perverted or degraded version of a human being as this man. Now, I wish to draw your attention to the insidious conditions affecting this patient. Can you see over there? Note, if you will, the extreme enlargement of the skull, the right upper limb, which is totally useless, the alarming curvature of the spine. And would you turn around, please? Turn around, please. The looseness of the skin and the varying fibrous tumors that cover 90% of the body. And there is every indication that these afflictions have been in existence and have progressed rapidly since birth. The patient also suffers from chronic bronchitis. As an interesting side note, in spite of the aforementioned anomalies, the patient's genitals remain entirely intact and unaffected. Thank you. Which occurs soon after. So Treves uh, convinces the proprietor to let him, essentially, this is terrible, but borrow the elephant man for a while. Yeah. And Treves displays him to this academic society but what's so fascinating, and this the scene has been copied like in music videos and stuff. You don't see the Elephant Man during the scene, but you he's behind a curtain, right. and the camera is positioned behind this white curtain, this like medical white so curtain. So you see thing. a silhouette. Yeah, so you just see his silhouette, but which is actually much more evocative to me than like there's so much buildup. What like music you were videos saying. are you thinking of? I just I can't remember. Um, yeah, I don't remember which one, I'm sorry, but that's I know okay. I read somewhere that this music video <laughs> had copied it. <laughs> so that's my like Guys, second, third, someone, fourth hand info. Someone said. Someone um, said. So let's jump back though. So I'm interested in, it's around the same time as that early carnival scene. We cut to um, this sort of surgical scene where someone's been injured in like a machine related accident. Right. And they say, the doctors, first of all, there's a guy whose job just seems to be to, like, muffle the groans of people. <laughs> yeah. And he doesn't put his hand over it. He holds this, like, <laughs> this, like, cup that's attached by, a, like, a long handle. And yeah. anytime someone starts groaning, he just cups it. He chloroforms him, I think. Oh, is that it? I think it's... I thought it was just, like... Oh, just, like, shut up. Yeah, exactly. No. But they say... Abominable things, these machines. But you can't reason with them. And it started... It made me think mm. that the movie is introducing us to the Elephant Man's journey alongside of a, a newly industrialized world. Yeah. Right? And I think that's one way we can pull it back to Lynch and say Eraserhead is that, again, we're seeing him being very much drawn to life in industrial environments and, and the sort of changing conditions that that brings. Absolutely. I mean, especially the beginning uh, in the setting with the freak show and um, this, you know, opening surgery, there's like steam mm -hmm. and... Uh, lots of loud noises of, you know, machi machinery banging about, etc. So. Yeah, or even just like this interplay just butting up against each other is like electric light and torches. And, yeah, yeah like, absolutely. And then we also see a lot of like casually employed children. Yep. Is there a child police officer? Who was that kid? It's like a messenger kid. <laughs> it's but a I... child constable. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so this child comes in and his job has been to find where the elephant man is and he comes in while Treves is in the middle of surgery. <laughs> and a fellow doctor is like, who, who is that little kid? And Treves is like, a friend. <laughs> yeah. Why are like, you friends with Like, not since Home Alone have we had such like, an alarming relationship between an old man and a young boy. 
<laughs> and then the other the other kid we see is the carnival owner's assistant. Yeah. Who's sort of an asshole, right? He's... He just barks orders at, at John. But then he also tries to restrain right. Bites and or this is, Bates. Or yeah. However you say that name. Let's just decide to say Bates. Bates, okay. All right. So he's... And he also He's has... torn, I guess. He also goes and gets Treves after the alpha yeah, man has been right, beaten. Yeah, right, after he's been beaten. So... Uh, let me just back up real quick and say, after this kind of display, the, you know, London Hospital Society, whatever it's called, Elephant Man goes back to the freak show owner and um, he beats him and kind of hurts him pretty badly. And Treves takes him into the hospital and puts him in the isolation ward. So he's got this, his own little room, kind of, you know, it's kind of cozy. It's, it's kind of sweet. And that's where the film starts to really develop this kind of... Um, mentorship loving relationship between Treves and Elephant yeah. Man or I should say I want to call him Merrick now because I want to humanize Merrick, yeah. it yeah. and we can get to sort of the 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 details of sort of where that goes I think as we discuss like the right. scenes right yeah but, well and it's interesting too because there's this um, really evocative moment where Treves teaches Merrick to kind of say his own name right mm-hmm. um, and that's when you really first get a sense of like how difficult it is for him to breathe to talk, um, etc. Yeah, but I think you're yeah because uh, even even Anthony Hopkins Treves does not know that he can speak for a while. He refers to him as an imbecile and idiot. That's right. a direct quote. But yeah, I think you're right. It's the moment where after he's been beaten that he comes to stay at the hospital that uh, we see as sort of a turning point in the film. Mm-hmm. Also, I was sort of he takes like a taxi over and they make there's like to do about that and I oh, really yeah. was like <laughs> expecting a montage of like him seeing the world not from behind <laughs> bars you know cage bars. But no. no, he just arrives. Yeah. Also, okay, so my impression, I made a note during this scene was like, this is another movie, a lynch movie where we have to decide who's worse, like children or old people. Because <laughs> that, That's the constant battle. <laughs> well, in this one, it's like, or third option, the working class. Because the they're terrible class. too. Oh, yeah. But Anthony Hopkins is like, why don't we go upstairs? And then that old woman nurse is like, mm-hmm. did you hear him? He said, go upstairs. Yeah, she's mean. I know. And I just thought too, like, if I were working somewhere and I just like gave an order and then my assistant barked it, I'd be like, uh, mm-hmm. hey, Doris, actually, <laughs> I've got it under control. Thanks, Calm though. Calm your shit. Calm your shit. But see, she's also kind of, I mean. Yeah, she comes around. She comes around because even though she's like, he's just a wall. Eventually, she has this compassion for him. so mean. I know. Where she's like, uh, you know, bringing in all of these fancy society people is kind of a reiteration of the freak show vibe we've got going here. So, you know, she comes around, but you're right. Yeah, those are just my early (laughs) film notes. (laughs) What other notes? Okay, so during the... (laughs) This is so juvenile. (laughs) During the scene that you described when he puts displays John as like the spectacle for the medical society, it's behind the curtain, we can't see him. Yeah. He says, he talks about the, quote, perverted conditions of this man. He says, but... His, his, oh, his, genitals. his genitals remain intact and functional. <laughs> and I was like, how does he know that they remain functional? <laughs> There's definitely like a deleted scene of him jerking Oh, oh God. Well, the poor Merrick elephant man, or Merrick, keeps, keeps having people. He's in this ostensibly private room, but people keep barging in. in. Yeah. So maybe there is a deleted scene where he's like, you know thinking about that cathedral or something yeah. and, and jerking it. The cathedral? The cathedral that he builds. Oh, yeah, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I just thought of something that he was obsessed with, right? Or like that beautiful actress. The beautiful actress or his <laughs> or that Or that building, yeah. Either or an way. elephant. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was horrible. No. <laughs> God, oh, I should not have said that. Um, okay, I don't know what all these notes mean. I have minute 53, who is this woman? I don't minute know. Minute 53, you mean the mom? Um, maybe. Should we talk about the go- uh, the hospital governor for a second? Yeah. Uh, so the kind of, what would you call him? The administrative head of the hospital. Oh, you think he's going to be this great antagonist. Yeah. And then he's, yeah. He turns out to be, I think, the one of the best characters in this film, mm-hmm. right? Where he, um, wait, which actor is playing him again? Oh, I don't know. Sir John Gil, how do you say his name? Gil, Gilgood? Gil? Sure. Gilgood? Gilgood? No. <laughs> I did not recognize that name okay. when I saw it scrolling. He's a, he's a pretty well-known actor, I think. 
uh, we might cut this part. <laughs> so, but anyways, he, he comes off across as a hero because he creates the kind of administrative mechanisms for Merrick to stay in the isolated room. And as the film progresses, he uh, acquires more possessions. He gets to meet more people. I think what really sets this off is meeting the famous actress who just kind of takes a philanthropic interest in the Elephant Man, right? Yeah. Um, and he, you know, eventually has tea with people. He goes to Treves's house uh, and starts... I don't know, acquiring a kind of sophistication that's... Yeah, oh, and this is one of the most heartbreaking moments when he starts crying and he says, I'm just not used to being treated so well. Yeah, oh, that <sighs> made me so sad. I know, and that was really when I became just completely invested in this character. Yeah. <laughs> so, should we get to kind of what happens with... Yeah, so here's where the conflict arises. Do you know the guy's name, the working class guy who, like, the stokes the... Yeah. I can't remember his name. I don't no. either. But once he discovers the Elephant Man is there, and that they are going, and that John Merrick is there, and that they're going to be moving John Merrick to a location that he can easily access, yeah, he starts drawing together crowds and charging a fee to show him off as a spectacle. So we know this is going to happen, but the plot sort of goes away for a while, mm -hmm. and we have the luxury of forgetting about it as John Merrick's life starts going really well, where he's meeting more people, he's reading more, he's wearing great clothes, and he's just becoming treated like a human being. Right. And being afforded, like, a dignity that he deserves. But <laughs> this then, porter brings in this horde of people. You... <laughs> Curtain time! You look beautiful, darling. I wouldn't change a thing. You look like the bleeding Prince of Wales. <laughs> Here! What friends? The elephant man. Right. They break into his room, trash his room. They force alcohol down his throat. They force a woman. Yeah. A, kind of, it's, it's clear that she's a prostitute to kiss him on the mouth. Right. Yeah. It's just it's horrifying. It's and the most kind of gut wrenching scene of the movie. I would say. Oh, a hundred percent. And it's also this very lynching scene. It made me think of a scene in um, Blue Velvet too, when John Merrick looks out the window and sees that creepy old guy, like sort of like groping these two women oh, and sort of right. just yeah. disgustingly trying to kiss them both. It's yeah, just, like, it's very visceral. Yeah, and, and there's very... like that's a very archetypal male figure in his movies. Yeah, yeah. So after this kind of horrifying accident. I also, I'm so sorry. I also wrote, and this is a half serious question. After that scene, what is the state of locks on doors at this time? <laughs> well, I was surprised that like everyone could just walk into his room. Well, the porter works at the hospital. So oh, that's right. So maybe he, he actually has a key. He has just, a special key. Yeah. But he and so he lets in all of the the outsiders, right? Uh, but I mm -hmm. don't. I mean, I am not proficient in Victorian locks. I just felt very like unsafe <laughs> watching that scene. You know, it just those houses seem so fragile. Right. Right. So. Okay, let's get to, should we get to the, the end of the film, this this glorious film, or are we... Well, so... Did I jump ahead too far? No, you're fine. So, one person who's working, I guess is a security guard, he doesn't intervene, but he witnesses what's happened, mm -hmm. and he tells Treves the next day. Yeah. Treves finds the porter, and um, Alpha Man's gone, or John Merrick is gone, and so the, he goes to the porter to accost him, but also to find out where John Merrick has gone to. He won't tell him, mm -hmm. and then one of the nurses who has redeemed herself, yeah, she, the mean one, Doris. She's Doris back comes in the game. around. She knocks out the porter with a heavy book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Badass. sure it is possible, but I, I cheered. <laughs> I wanted her to like become my grandma. She's awesome. Oh, your Mima? Well, you wanted like, her to in dig addition, two hands into half a watermelon. In addition in front of you? to no, <laughs> this one would clean up after the for sure. The Mima. <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out though that that among the crowd of people who had gone to see John Merrick was, was Bates. Yeah. Yeah, that dick. So Bates recaptures Merrick. Uh, and they go abroad, and tr he tries to show off Merrick again, kind of do the old routine. It doesn't work because Merrick now refuses to cooperate. So he purposefully falls down. He purposefully, you know, just doesn't do the kind of performance that's required for a successful kind of exhibition. Right. And this is one of the more heartwarming parts of the movie. The fellow freaks 
uh, it, you know, in the we're show. We're using the term as they use the term. Yeah, 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 I'm sorry. The fellow performers rescue John, essentially. They rescue Merrick and bring him back to London, right? They, they yeah. ensure that he has passage back. They put him on the train, yeah. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, though, when he gets back to, to Victorian London, there's this same kind of hubbub around him, and he has difficulty navigating on his own, you know, the London train station. He's accosted by... Yeah, there's a terrible again children. Awful. I, that's what I wrote. I said beginning to end, children are the worst. <laughs> yeah, and it's sort of this domino effect where these two kids see him, they start picking on him. Then and in an effort to escape them, he sort of runs, stumbles into a woman. The mm -hmm. woman then screams, and so a bunch of men see him sort of his hands on a woman who's screaming, and then right. they chase him, and right. when he flees, then more people start chasing him until they corner him in this basement, like, sort of train locker room. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I guess it. Those, pa those spaces exist. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, in my mind, there are lockers there, but that could not be possible. <laughs> but it gets to one of the most famous lines, of course, and that's his shouting at them. <laughs> Um, and he comes back finally to to trees, and they they hug, and it's very moving. Yeah, and the kind of the kind of redemption, I got not redemption, but the redeeming event for Merrick. Well, we should say really quick because I know where you're going with this is that this is also the point in the movie where they reinforce or remind viewers that this physical deformity that Merrick has is also killing him. Right. That yeah. he is going to die young. There's no cure. There's no, I mean, alas, there's no hope for right. longevity or, you know, the semblance of a normal, quote, quote, normal life. But you're right, though. This still builds to this sort of really great evening or 24 hours. Yeah. Of... So the famous actress who first took an interest in Merrick arranges for him and Treves uh, to visit the theater. So Treves uh, brings Merrick kind of all dressed up, all fancified to the theater and they, you know, see this beautiful, elaborate production, which is then dedicated to Merrick. And Merrick gets to, for once, be an audience member watching a spectacle instead of being the yeah, spectacle. Yeah, it's, it's really, I don't know, I loved that moment. Yeah. But when he gets back to his room, his isolated room, that's when, you know, he realizes that he's kind of uh, peaked in a way. You know, this is kind of such a, well, <laughs> that's a wrong word, but the experience was so over-the-top wonderful for him that this is this is kind of it so he decides to sleep laying down which he knows will kill him i'm so sorry to undercut this moment <laughs> i've just like created but... a very beautiful our listeners are crying right now <laughs> why so... on a twin bed does he have seven pillows because he can't lay down because if he lays down flat he will die. Oh my god, I did not pick up on that. <laughs> so he has to sleep sitting up, and the pillows all, like, they're, you know. All right. Uh... I thought that was like a period <laughs> detail that just blew my mind. All right, I'm just so sorry. just way too many pillows. <laughs> yeah, it was, because like during the whole, like, I looked up the song because it's so famous and I wanted to know what it was called, Adagio for Strings. Uh-huh. It's playing, and half of that runtime of that orchestral he's playing is <laughs> him just slowly off. taking one pillow off at a time. Yeah. I clearly, I'm, this is a, a teachable moment for me. I don't think I watched studiously enough. I knew what he was doing and how he was orchestrating his own suicide, but I didn't oh. quite realize. And that's why there are pillows in the first place. Oh, I mean, I think you just, you pick up on different details than I yeah. do, right? Like. And I have another question about that piece too about the pillows no no okay. <laughs> <laughs> guys <laughs> i hope you're sitting down because i've got lots more questions um lots more pillow questions <laughs> pillow talk <laughs> no this is about adagio for strings so that's a really famous piece i've, I've heard that okay. everywhere but i looked it up it's wikipedia page lists every single time it's been used in a film uh-huh elephant man is the only the second time it's been used. Wow. And the first was for um, a very small, low-budget film. And so I'm wondering, is Elephant Man part of the reason it's famous? Because so mm. many times I've seen it, and I was like looking at the list, trying to scan for scenes that I remember seeing, like Amelie. There's a scene where Audrey Tatsu, Totau, 
however okay. you say her yeah. name, is imagining her own death. And that's when this oh. song, that same piece is playing. So you're suggesting the Elephant Man kind of established a suicide song, essentially. Or like a, yeah, like, is it used a lot because the song itself is so famous and culturally resonant? Or did Elephant Man help it along its way? I'm sure it did. I'm sure it helped quite yeah. a bit. So one thing that Lynch is famous for is being kind of um, anal about his, his music or his um, music scores for his films. And he works very closely. More on that when we get to Dune. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, with his, um, what are they called? Composers? His mm-hmm. music sure. folk? So, yeah, I think his that's... music folk? That's what I'm going to call him from now on, music folk. So, yeah, there's a, there's a sense that, like, this is very poignant for Lynch, and probably other filmmakers picked up on that. Yeah. So that is Elephant Man. Yeah, and so what's the final image? Of, oh, of his um, mother. He becomes... So this has been critiqued as well. He basically dies and there's this like image of his mother it's again like this dream sequence thing where she's like there is no death or she says something weird in a very husky voice do you have the poem it's um yeah it's it's a tennyson poem okay nothing will die nothing will die (laughs) (laughs) but her head is is floating among the stars yeah in space so again with like eraser head we have this weird oh yeah i didn't make that connection Ending and beginning with floating heads, and this also appears in Dune, in space somehow, and kind of a a sense of, not finality, but of eternal circularity, I guess. Yeah, no, that's great. So something about the ending that I read is that there's a conspiracy that the ending has been altered, and that (gasps) the mother's face floating in the stars is not the original ending. There's a whole Reddit thread devoted to this. Oh, I love it. Okay. So... Some creep in a van writes... <laughs> wait, wait, say say that again. Some creep in a van wrote... <laughs> the, that's, the, the, that's the name? That's the username. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I really want him to talk to not an undercover cop. <laughs> or what was it, like beef pie soup? Beef pie soup? Beef pie soup. And of course, uh, was it awkward puppy face? Yeah, awkward. Confused, confused puppy confused face. Confused puppy face. Good for you, bro. Where, where are these folk... Getting their usernames from. That's what it's I want to really, know. I could never think of any of these. I mean, I'm always, like, my initials and some random ass numbers. That's yeah. it. I don't... And I'm always, like, immediately disappointed in myself. Right. When I'm like, <laughs> yeah, Sam B. <laughs> I will Great. say, though, that whenever I make a name for myself for video games, and keep in mind, I don't, like, play online, so I'm, it's just <laughs> it's for It's the me. privacy of your own console. So, but they're always, like, really just immature um, you know, names. Be. So, and I love, like, it appearing in dialogue where it's like, yeah. like poop face, we've given you a new quest. <laughs> me as poop face is like, eh, time <laughs> to go. But this is like the same play we have too. Like, we write a lot and you have to title everything you write. Mm-hmm. And some people come up with the best titles. And mine, always I always lame. like yeah. aspire, I save it for the end. So I'm like, I'm going to have time to really think through this. And I always just give up and just come with the most straightforward, literal title I oh, can think yeah. of. Like, okay. if I had to name this, I would just be like, Episode two, a podcast on David Lynch's The Elephant Man. <laughs> Can I tell you my favorite uh, academic title that I ever yeah. had? So it's it's not been published. It's uh, just a subtitle within my master's thesis. But um, I had this section of a chapter talking about a character in a play who steals a woman's glove and puts it on in a very oogie, gross way. And so the subtitle of this particular section talking about stealing a woman's glove was called all you need is glove. Oh, that's a good Isn't one. Isn't that cute? <laughs> Even though I was talking about something real gross. Real gross. <laughs> so, some creep in the van says... Some creep in the van, where are you at? What spoilers. You I've seen the Alpha Man three times in the last six years. I know it through and through. <laughs> the new ending is much more ambiguous about Merrick's death. In the original, Merrick's doctor and staff find him dead the next morning. It was pretty cut and dry. It plays out like the true story. Now it's very strangely or strangly artistic and out there. <laughs> to think I wouldn't remember this bizarre ending with stars and a woman's voiceover is ridiculous. The new ending is not even as good. So we jump down and we see a bunch of, and I also Googled this. There is no record of there ever having been 
a changed ending. So if we scroll down, we see a lot of commenters saying that they also have a similar shared memory of there being two endings. However, oh. neither David Lynch nor the studio has ever acknowledged that there are multiple cuts of this film. Do you think this is like the Bernstein Bears scenario? I was thinking of that. Oh man, Plus, I it is. I'm sure everyone resented this person commenting because it just totally like hollows out the possible validity of this argument. Right. But then uh, Nez Diaz74 says, I'm still shocked how much me and my sister remember that Lynch died like eight years ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He writes, every time we had the opportunity, we talked about Twin Peaks and how much we wanted to continue. But he was dead and we were sad about it. Uh we read about his daughter. We read about his daughter was the only hope to continue his work, and surprise, he wasn't dead. We knew about it like three years ago. We can't believe it, and we still talk about so it. So there, so eight years ago they thought he had died. Then f three years ago they found out he hadn't. Died. He had not died. So there were there was five years of that mourning, they were, just, just straight mourning, just pure sadness that Lynch was dead. Oh, speaking of people. That are dead. Bill Paxton died today. What? Yeah. Whoa. He's only 61. That's really sad. Isn't that I just saw him sad? in Nightcrawler the other night. Oh. Yeah. yeah. He died in that too. But that was like a movie. That That's not fake. real. I'm so yeah. sorry. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Guys, I loved Big Love. I watched it when I was in college. I was a real big fan. So. I like that. Yeah, I did too. I, I was really into it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we can also then just turn to, it's only the second time we've done this segment, so I can't really say it's one of my favorite segments yet, but the forum posts and conspiracy theories. The recurring conspiracy theories. Well, so, I mean, Creep in the Van is kind of a conspiracy theory. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've already, we've already begun. Yeah. So first, let's just look at a couple forum posts. I'll read one to you, and you can read one back to oh, me. Oh, I can't wait. These are main segment, sub-segment, we should call Terrible People. Terrible People? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's um, Besides it's children. just bad reviews. Yeah, it's a section called... People as bad as children. <laughs> um, so this is a review from an IMDb user, RandM18, titled, Most Depressing Movie I've Ever Seen. I Wish I Had Not Watched This Film. Cap locks. <laughs> this movie ruined my day. <laughs> the I watched it at 8 a.m. <laughs> yeah. the... Could not drink my coffee. <laughs> Sorry. The Elephant Man is about a man who was horribly deformed while still in his mother's womb. He was born deformed, and because of this, he has never been treated like a human being. The entire movie revolves around this deformed man being discovered and cared for by a doctor. The doctor and his contemporaries care for the deformed man throughout the movie, but not once is he treated like a normal human being. The kindness that everybody, but a small few, show him is surface-level nonsense. <laughs> this movie is supposed to show how kindness and, quote, love turn this man's life around. This would be true if the kindness and love were genuine. Unfortunately, it's not. How does this person and know? Then, I mean, and then the final sentence is, I strongly do not recommend this movie, or a couple sentences, I strongly don't recommend this movie. It is about a miserable man who is mistreated and abused his entire life. Now once did I ever believe he was truly happy. The movie, right from the beginning, made me sad, and I honestly wish I never watched it. <laughs> Again, reaffirming that it ruined his day. Right? <laughs> Get over it. It's just one day. Okay, so this is LJ Goal. He's from, hey, he's from my town. He's from, is he really? Well, he's from Fort Worth, Texas, right. so close by. This is called A Sore Disappointment. Perhaps this movie was ripe with artistic value, and maybe it was meaningful and delivered a strong message. That's all fine and good. Nothing wrong with any of that. But for pure entertainment val value, I gave this movie a two. I just wasn't enter entertained. It's just, he was nonplussed. He's, you know, is that how you say that word? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so call me shallow if you will, but I don't look to Hollywood to teach me the meaning of life or reinforce my moral values. I look to Hollywood to entertain me. And they failed miserably in that aspect with this atrocity. <laughs> Jeez, that's some strong language, LJ Goal. Cool it. I and love it. Just the last one. This is from the bodybuilding.com forum. <laughs> <laughs> Which Sam checks every single morning. Every day. <laughs> Takazaki writes, miscellaneous. I'm watching David Lynch's The Elephant Man, and I can't help but remember watching the same movie, but in color with a similar-looking dude that got himself a blind girlfriend. What? This guy was a teenager, though. Midnight Rogue writes back, Are you thinking of The Mask starring Cher? <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait. Takazaki writes back, Oh, that's it. Thanks. 
so the mask got confused with the elephant man. Oh, not, that's... not the Jim Carrey mask. The oh the oh yeah. yes yeah okay. And I originally thought I we were talking about the, the elephant man being about a guy who starts courting Cameron Diaz. Um, I was like, wait, Jim that would Carrey. have been amazing. Okay. So many confusions. This episode is. Mm-hmm. I mean, your seventh grade book that you. I, I really please. Did not if read. you know what I'm talking about, tell us. But Katie, I've been waiting this entire episode to reveal this to you that oh, I found. Oh, I'm so excited. What is it? It's amazing. <laughs> this comes from the Michael Jackson Hoax Forum. <laughs> Wait. A website that is dedicated <laughs> to proving that Michael Jackson has not actually died. Okay. Unlike David Lynch, who was dead for eight years. <laughs> who definitely died. Um, so the forum poster, It's Her, writes... It's her? It's her. Oh, okay. I guess we could talk a little bit about The Elephant Man. I can't say too much without giving away my entire list. But this movie becomes even more amazing once I saw MJ in almost every scene somehow. What? Uncanny that it predicts some of the events in MJ's real life. He could have made the film himself from the future. Okay. There are a lot of emojis, so I won't go through that, but he says there are so many, or she says, there were so many MJ-isms, uncanny similarities, and hoax clues in the movies. So she says, I'm going to post four, and I challenge someone else to come up with the other 12. So the first four really quick, and then we can, I'll pull up the list of 12, we can alternate. Okay. Number one, <laughs> when we first see John Merrick in the movie, he's only wearing one glove. <laughs> That's it. I'm sold. I did not buy it. This lead-in did not convince me, but now yep. I am sold. That one glove. Number two. <laughs> and he's wearing a burlap sack with a one with one view hole in it, similar to the pic we saw of MJ in Bahrain wearing a burqa. Okay. <laughs> a little more of a stretch there. Number three. John Merrick's doctor friend invites him to tea at his home with his wife, and John Merrick notices pictures of children on the mantle and asks... Where are the children? <laughs> oh, no. Just, just as Michael Jackson asked when he visited the White House to meet the Reagans and receive an award. Number four. Okay. Dr. Reeves introduces John Merrick to his wife as a first step into society. She's very pretty to him, and he asks if she would like to see a picture of his beautiful mother in his locket. She's nothing like you'd expect. As John talks glowingly about his mother, we the viewers are allowed to slowly ogle and scan her flawless face, her delicate mouth, and tiny nose. Just as the camera closes in on just her eyes in a strangely Michael Jackson-esque dangerous album mask. I am not lying. <laughs> okay. So, this is sold. Wishing Star. Wishing Thanks. Star adds... An additional eight? They've come up with the other 12. They were challenged to find. Oh, 12. Okay. So, do you want to start with one? We'll yeah, let me, right. let me in, in on this. Okay. So, number one, John Merrick's name in real life was really Joseph Merrick. Joseph is Michael's father and perhaps his middle name. <laughs> It could be. It could be. I mean, we, we haven't really done the legwork to verify this there's, connection. There's a few names, though. Number two, the Princess of Wales played a role in the life of both Merrick and Jackson. <laughs> okay, uh, this one is glorious. Yes. Michael was said to have purchased the bones of Joseph Merrick. That is not true. I don't think that's true at all. Number four, <laughs> Joseph Merrick was actually shown to be of high intelligence and quite sensitive, as well as very artistic. <laughs> Much like Michael, he's only been depicted as an aloof figure of society. He's brilliant, artistic, and very sensitive. What connects them is that people never really knew the true <laughs> essence of either man. Um, such as the fact that both men enjoyed poetry and art. Clearly there's a link there between... I mean, who else would enjoy poetry and art? And number six, the faces of both men were horribly scrutinized by the public. <laughs> oh, Newspapers of the day wrote about each. Fair. Okay. Both men were essentially put on display for the public to see. Merrick made a living from being a sideshow oddity. Many have called Michael an oddity, an oddity as well. The public was fascinated with both men's looks. They were pretty much, quote, owned by the people who showed them off. Merrick had the circus and managers. Michael had the record companies and managers. And managers. <laughs> Fair enough. 
Number eight, in real life as a teen, Merrick went door to door as a teen to sell things. Michael went door to door as a Jehovah's Witness. Wait, is that true? I have no idea. Were they Jehovah's Witnesses? I haven't fact checked this. Oh, that's Wouldn't interesting. Be too busy? I mean, yeah, because they're the Jackson Five. Right. Like he's he's five years old there. Whatever, well, seven. Is he already going door to door? I don't know. Okay, listeners out there, we will find this. We'll put this in our show notes. Okay, um, so both men were talked about with their sleeping habits. Merrick had to sleep sitting up or held, or he'd suffocate, excuse me, he'd suffocate. Tabloids had the public believing Michael slept in a hyperbaric chamber. <laughs> Michael was also reported insomniac. His, quote, death was caused because he took a lethal mix of drugs in order to sleep. Both men died during their sleep. Well, Merrick did anyway. Just a reminder, this is coming from the Michael Jackson hoax forum. He not has us. not died. Yeah. That's why death is in quotes. <laughs> Ten. Both men have August birthdays. <laughs> okay. Um, on August 5th, 1992, Merrick's B-Day, Michael performed in Car- is wait. Yeah, in Cardiff. Cardiff, sorry. As part of the dangerous tour. Okay. <laughs> and then cool twelve friends. both men had public pleas, which is misspelled pubic pleas. <laughs> So both men had public pleas. Merrick, I am not an animal. Michael Jackson, I am innocent. I'm innocent. (laughs) So, um, you know, listeners, do with that what you will. But we now have discovered uh, through our obsession with the elephant man that there is a uh, a following contingent of at least two people who yeah. see a, a strong connection between Lynch's I'm film and so Michael Jackson. I'm so happy you found this. I am too. I love the weirdness of the internet. It's so great. Well, I mean, this is a good time to say too that we now have a website. Or no, we don't have a website. That's not true. <laughs> I was like, I, I wish that we were filmed because I was just like staring at Sam. Like, no, we, we now don't. have an email address. And it is theobsessiondigression at gmail.com. If you have any information, if you care to have fact-checked any of the things we have said or that anyone from the Michael Jackson host forum has said, please write in and let us know. And of course, if you know what I read in seventh grade, please do not hesitate (laughs) in emailing us. That's the most important thing we have to figure out. We will figure this out someday. So that's it for Elephant Man. So before we sign off, though, do you want to tell us what's obsessing you this week? Yeah, so I have thought long and hard about this because I feel like my obsession for last week was quite lame. And I think what I'm going to do for this, Sam, is you can bring in new cool stuff that you Mm -hmm. find, and I'm just going to repeat things that are old or just, like, typically from, like, the 80s and early 90s that I just, like, am still obsessed with. That's great. Today, I think I'm going to bring in the head honcho of my obsessions. Can you guess who it is? I can. Do you want me to say? Yeah, guess. It's Danny DeVito. It's Danny DeVito. That's right. (laughs) So I am just perennially, perennially, constantly, forever, (laughs) never dying love for Danny DeVito. You have a cardboard cutout of him in your office. I do. I um, have a giant poster of Renaissance Man, and I have a few smaller pictures of Danny DeVito, just because he's hilarious. He's you, brilliant. You also at one point researched his rate to have him come to an event, right? Yeah, he's like, he's about $25,000 to, okay. to visit my graduation party. So see my um, upcoming Kickstarter for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've also like entered contests to meet him. I've never won. But I am so obsessed with Dan DeVito. He's such a glorious man. He's just endearing. I love him. So Dan DeVito, please come see me. Come find me. I will. I will forever, <laughs> forever cherish you. You know, I just saw um, One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest for the first time last summer, and yeah. I really couldn't. Did we watch it together? We did. Okay, yeah. I couldn't quite believe that was Danny DeVito. He's so because, young, right? Yeah, and he's playing a dramatic role, and it just like yeah. the whole time it's so dissonant because it's just not the Danny DeVito that I know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. <laughs> Okay, so Sam, what are you obsessed with? Um, my obsession, this is a couple weeks old, I guess. So a few weeks ago, I finally got around to binge watching this AMC series called Halt and Catch Fire. Oh, you've told me about this, yeah. but I have not it's seen it. It's great. So uh, part of this, the story is that it's AMC produces the show and sort of pitches it as the next Mad Men. 
and the first season comes out, and no one likes it, no one watches it, it's almost canceled, miraculously it comes back for a second season, and then miraculously again for a third season. Mm -hmm. The first season is bad. It's not very good at all. Oh, no. But they retool it really significantly in the second season. So if we say there's four principal characters, the two main characters in the first season become supporting characters, and two supporting characters, (laughs) (laughs) quotes, uh, allegedly, Um, and then two supporting characters uh, become the main characters, and the show is amazing. It's fantastic. That's great. So the second season's great, the third is really phenomenal, and um, it takes place in the 80s, and it's about, um, so a period piece about um, just sort of like early computer and tech development and the various sort of like computer races to get uh, products out there and the early internet. And, and it's called what? Halt and... Halt and Catch Fire. Halt it's like the very fire. first frame of the pilot ex- defines what that is. I don't remember. But it's been a few weeks since I finished it. I can't wait for season four, but I've just been so surprised with how much uh, those characters have stayed with me. And I find myself just thinking a lot about cool. these really great and human kind of organically uh, developing conflicts. It feels... It's it's just a great, great show. So I recommend it. And, and that's what I'm obsessed with. Cool. That's a great obsession. They should have Dan DeVito on that show. They should. Skyrocket ratings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so next week we're going to be talking about the Lynchian flop. The, the famous, famous, famous Hollywood failure. And this is Dune. And I should warn viewers that for next week, I love Dune. I love everything about Dune, despite its... Um, many many shortcomings so we'll have plenty to say about what's terrible what's delightful about dune but the most important thing is that this is david lynch's first and most poignant interaction with a pug in film yeah and i will say just as a preview to viewers that i had no idea what was going on <laughs> i couldn't puzzle out the pillows on john mary's bed so i'm sure no one expected me to understand this incredibly dense complicated plot so that'll make for a fun episode next week uh, and so we will talk to you all then in the meantime stay obsessed and and digress and digress we're, we're, we're still, still working, working on, on that it. one Thank <laughs> you.